0: Tonight, if you would please take your Bible to the book of Acts, book of Acts, chapter number four, please, for just a few moments. I'm not going to tarry along tonight. Last Sunday evening, the Lord led me to speak on a uh, 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 portion of scripture out of the book of Acts, chapter number two, uh, talking uh, uh, about uh, uh, Pentecost and the coming to the Holy Spirit of God there to uh, uh, empower that infant church, the church that was started by the Lord Jesus some under two months ago. And now this church has been empowered in Acts chapter number 2, and they acting kind of strange after the Holy Spirit of God falls on them, and uh, they begin to act up a little bit, and they were accused of being drunk. Acts 2, verse 13, others mocking and said, these men are full of new wine. And then Peter stands and says, these men are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but it was in fulfillment of a, Prophecy in the book of Jobs how that God would one day uh, fill and come upon and empower uh, these, this church to preach the gospel. Now, and I preached last week on the joy or joyful Christianity. I think it's a joy to be saved. I really do. David talked about joy, and all through the Bible talks about joy, unspeakable, full of glory. I tell you what, it just don't do a lot of good walking around look like you had a fresh dose of turpentine and uh, ready to spit on somebody. So I think it's good to have joy. Now tonight in Acts chapter number 4, I don't want to talk to you about joyful Christianity. Let me talk to you about bold Christianity. We'll read in verse number 1 of Acts chapter number 4 for just a moment. And the Bible said, And as they spake unto the people the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed and the number of the men were about 5,000. Well, that means in chapter 2 and 3 and 4, 8,000 have accepted Christ. And I don't know how big or how large Jerusalem was at this time. I don't know how many of them would be attending uh, the services down at the temple. I don't know how, what the tithe would be, from 8,000 people, but I imagine it would be significant because these are law keepers and they knew the penalty of not tithing. Now, I don't know what your feeling would be if you were the high priest or the captain of the guard down there and the tithe began to decrease. I would imagine you'd start looking for the answer and if you found it, you'd probably find them down Uh, in a field someplace listening to a preacher by the name of Peter expound the riches and love and grace of the Lord. And so I'm sure that's going to aggravate those folks. And so in verse 5, and it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and their elders and the scribes, the rulers, the elders, and the scribes. And then up there in verse number 1, we had the priest And the captain of the temple. Uh, That is Satan's hit squad getting ready to take care of a problem. And uh, verse 6 and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander. Now, I don't know this John and Alexander, but I have met in scriptures before these two fellows, Caiaphas and Annas. I did meet them over yonder. Uh, In a midnight trial, when they had stripped the clothes from our Lord and crowned him with a crown of thorns, these are the two henchmen that decided that Christ should be crucified. And so it's just been 50 plus days since they nailed him to a cross, made the decision and said in their mind's eye, it's all over, it's done with this man called Jesus. Now all of a sudden, although Jesus is dead, his message is not. Although Jesus is dead, but his followers are not. Although they crucified Jesus, he rose the third day, God is not dead. And now these followers of Christ, this risen Christ, this one that they buried and God raised, he's making havoc again. They've got a problem. And Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked by what power Or by what name have you done this? What do you think was going through the minds of Peter and John? As they stand in a half circle, they're being judged, they're being examined, if you would please, by the same folk that just a few days ago nailed their Lord to the tree. Do you think maybe there was some nervousness, some anxiousness, maybe some worry, some anticipation? Dear Lord, I know they're going to hang us on the same cross. They killed Jesus to silence his message. And now we're being tried. We're on trial for the same thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd have been a scared little puppy standing amongst all these religious Satan's hip squad examining me for the message that I'm preaching. In verse 8, And Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined for the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Standing by Peter and John in the midst of the religious and political hierarchy of the day is an impotent man who's been carried all of his life and set there by the beautiful gate as described in Acts chapter number three. Not I or any I know really knows which gate it was going into Jerusalem, it called it a beautiful gate. A beautiful gate. Many commentators and some I've read said it was a Corinthian gate. If that be so, this is the gate that was some 40 meters high made of solid gold. And trimmed in beautiful silver and precious jewels, and that's why they call it the beautiful gate. And sitting by this encrusted, overlaid gate of gold and silver sits this beggarly beggar, asking for a handout. I suppose he. Was a professional because he was there of the a day. I suppose he had his, his dialect as he goes through the day. And if you notice, if you'll read over in Acts chapter number three, the man there is holding out the cup, maybe asking for a handout. Set in there day after day, knee shy, knee shy, knee shy. Something for the poor, please. Something for the poor. Read in Acts chapter three when Peter and John arrived. Peter said, "Look on us. Don't divide your attention." between somebody else who may have a handout, look on us. We have something that's of more importance than gold. We know God. And if you read that on, you'll see that a miraculous healing took place. This man began to run and leap and praise God as God has delivered him from this terrible, terrible uh, paralysis in his legs and in his feet. Now, the Bible said that everybody wondered at the miracle that was wrought. And now standing amongst the religious hierarchy, the political potentates of the day, been examined for a miracle, a good deed done, standing in the midst of all of the Sanhedrin, which consisted of 70 uh, Jews, if you please, were the priest and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees, you see they don't believe in the resurrection, that's why they call them sad, you see. And uh, the Pharisees, the religious hierarchy of the day, the Sadducees, the humanist of the day, and they're in this circle. Stands Peter and John, and this poor beggar who miraculously had been healed. And now, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, answers this crowd. If we this day, verse 9, be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means ye made hold. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye, now that, that's, that's kind of direct kind of preaching. You birds, uh, you Caiaphas, you Annas, and you priest, and you Sanhedrin, you religious, uh, henchmen of the devil, if you would please, you are the ones who crucified him. That's kind of getting right down to where you live. Whom God raised from the dead, even him doth this man stand here before you hold. Like our pastor was saying this morning, these guys were preachers. And this is the stone which was set at naught by you, builders. You are the one who rejected him. You are the one who crucified him. But God was the one who raised him up. Hallelujah. And is the builders and has become the head of the corner, neither is our salvation and in another For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What a message. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, perceived this is just their perception. This is what a bunch of Jews who's attended the schools uh, of the rabbis and have been raised in rabbinical universities and now have more degrees than a thermometer thanks of the Walmart crowd. You're welcome. They perceived. This is their opinion. They, they were common, ordinary fishermen, if you please. Just, just down and outers. And they perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned men. But they marveled, marveled at the man or the man. (laughs) Marveled at them ignorant and unlearned or the man who was running and leaping and praising God in the temple because he had been healed. And met Jesus. Amen. God bless. I'd like to have been there and seen that. And they took knowledge of them. That they had been with Jesus. Now if you know very much about your Bible. You know that the church has just been empowered. The church has been in existence since the Lord Jesus started it. In Matthew 16, 18. And it's an infant church. And this infant church started out strong as a result of Acts chapter number 2. They experienced mighty signs and wonders, miracles, and phenomenal growth. In Acts chapter 1, there's 120. Acts chapter 2, there's 3,120. Acts chapter 3, 4,000 was saved. And then in 4, we've got 5,000 saved. A phenomenal growth has taken place. And here I want you to think about the old, old Ephraim. If you please, the honeymoon is over. Satan has his politicians and religious Hit squad standing and ready. Now, I'd like to explain something to you. I think many times we forget the subtile nature of our enemy. Very early, not too many years, I don't know, after creation mourned, Somebody went slivering into the Garden of Eden, and God described him as being the most subtle creature that's ever been created. A deceptive, a deceiver, a liar, if you would please. He is so slick that we and Christendom have even forgot he exists. When we're fussing and fighting, we do not blame him who is the author of all of this. We blame each other. It's a Democrat party. It's a Republican problem. It's an American problem. It's China's fault. Whose fault is it? Could you think with me just a minute on how deceitful, how successful this booger has been? Not only in our church, but in our country, in our homes, and wherever we may live. The The status of America is the world's number one superpower. If I was the world number two superpower, I would not throw any of my second rate superpower at the first rate superpower. I learned as a teenager, don't try to whoop somebody you can't whoop Don't do it. Don't walk up and tell a guy that weighs 200 pounds more than you, knock this chip off my shoulder. When he does, his aim may be bad. So if you were the devil or China and you wanted to really hurt America, would you drop a bomb Or a virus. Slick, subtile. How, if you were the devil and knew of America's firepower, weaponry, I was watching just yesterday. I'm a long range shooter. That is if I'm shooting at nothing no farther than 25 yards. I was watching yesterday of the training and the techniques and the ability of the American Army sniper. I was telling my wife, I think the longest shot that I know of is a little, about a mile and a half that an American sniper shot and killed an Afghani a mile and a half away with a rifle, one shot. That's phenomenal. But yesterday I was watching that the modern day sniper puts those snipers to shame. They took a primary target maybe 100 yards down field and cut a hole in this cardboard just thousands of inches larger than the bullet that was coming out of the sniper's rifle. And downfield, several hundred yards, with the target. This sniper, one shot, shot through that hole, didn't touch either side, and wham, killed or hit the target. If I were another country trying to hurt, the greatest country in all the world. I don't believe I'd throw a bomb. I might turn loose a virus. And without a shot and without noise except our news media, thousands would die around the world. Economies would be absolutely destroyed and the church would be shut down. The gospel would be arrested while all the time we're blaming somebody else who really is not in charge. Satan is a subtile deceiver, if you please. And he unleashed, if you please, a virus instead of bombs. It was biological and not physical. And now our world is filled with fear instead of faith. Division instead of duty. He's a slick booger, isn't he? And now, here, he's behind the scenes trying to stop the movement of the Lord Jesus Christ and the process and the progress. Of the gospel. In our text, chapter 3 introduces chapter 4. A supernatural miracle, as I've already explained, has taken place. And in chapter 3, there is a spirit led message. Chapter 3 and verse 12, the Bible is very plain. And when Peter saw it, he answered and said unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, amen, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. What a message. And then we look at the men, if you please, in verse one, and you'll see that Peter and John are the fellows involved. The man is the man with the lame ankles. The miracle is when Peter reaches down and grabs a hold of the man and he stands up aright, running and leaping, praising God. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful miracle. And that leads us in to chapter 4. And the Bible said, and as they spake unto the people, news got out, and the priest, the captain of the temple, that's the bodyguard, that's the security system, and they came, and the Sadducees came upon them. Notice, if you would please, In verse number 13, our text, and it talks about the boldness. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, the boldness. What we need today, I think, in America is Christians who are not ashamed of the Lord Jesus, not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of heaven, not ashamed of church, not ashamed of an old-fashioned Regeneration experience where that you're made new and everything becomes new and different because of the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts and lives. Someone has said that boldness is the undeniable sign of the indwelling power of the Holy Ghost. The indwelling power, undeniable, undeniable power of the Holy Ghost. I don't know how to explain how that one day I hated church and the next day I wanted to spend all my time in church. I don't understand how that just kneeling by my bed or by my couch one Thursday night and inviting Christ into my heart and expressing faith in the message of the Bible, I don't understand how that I can kneel by my couch, a hellbound sinner, and stand up a heaven-bound saint. I, I don't understand that. I don't know how he took the thirst for that liquor away. I don't understand how he took uh, the desire for what I had been doing away. I don't understand it. I'm just going to enjoy it. Thank God for a God that saves you from tiptoe to hair. And here we find these two ignorant, unlearned Walmart shoppers preaching the gospel just outside the temple area standing by the man they've just seen healed. And the Bible says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, boldness can be seen. Boldness is noticeable. Boldness is not arrogance. Boldness necessarily does not have to be loud and boisterous. Boldness arrests the attention compelling people to listen by one way or another. Boldness Combines the emphasis. I know that this is true because it happened to me, whether thus saith the Lord. <laughs> I know it's true because I was there when I got saved. I know it works because it worked on me. I know it works. And I know it endures, but for 50-some years now, he's been working in me. Boldness. We need not only happy and joyous, noisy Christianity, but what we need also is bold Christianity. Now, I need to close. You say, why? Because I ran out of notes. You know better than that. Let me give you three things about bold Christianity. 30 some years we've been in this place right here. 30 some years we've been trying to win people to Christ. Building buildings for our people's comfort. Building buildings that might attract somebody driving down the highway to stop in and say, we just wanted to check you out. Many years now, we've been trying to be bold in the gospel. Our signs are bold. Our buses are bold. Our buildings are bold. Our people are bold. Our God is bold. Our Savior is bold. What we need in this day and hour in which we live is not timid, hush-mouthed, bashful, ashamed kind of Christians. What we need are those who as Bold as a lion, not afraid or ashamed of the crucified, buried, and risen Christ. A biblical view of bold Christianity will see and let us know that bold Christianity expects resistance to the gospel. Why should I... Now think if I'm trying to do good somewhere in the background Satan is trying to do bad. Why should I be so stupid to think that I can preach the gospel and the devil not mess with my marriage? Why should I be so ignorant to think that I'm going to try to win your family to Christ that the devil's not going to try to destroy my family? There's one thing I learned really, real early in my Christian life is it's not a snowy bed of ease. I stood up many times and testimony services testified how good God is. Now, I forget it, it was Spurgeon or, or one of the greats was having a testimony service and a young man stood up in the back and said, Sir, since I've been saved, it's just been like a flurry bed of ease, a flowery bed of ease. And the preacher from the pulpit said, Young man, there's thorns in rose bushes. Expect the thorns if you're going to smell the roses. And I've been around to realize long enough that when you start trying to serve God, the devil's going to get mad. And the devil and his henchmen is going to try to discourage you, embarrass you, shame you, tear your home up if he can. And so I can expect resistance to the gospel if I'm going to try to preach the gospel. You drive by our church and Say, well, I know why that church is so pretty, and I know why those buildings, all Brother Wilbur got down there is a bunch of wealthy oil men. Well, we've come a long way, baby, because 35 years ago when I started and it started growing, somebody said all he'd got down there is a bunch of rednecks and coon hunters. So we come a long way, baby, I guess, from Walmart to Dillard's. But you can always res- expect, you can always expect resistance to the gospel. Verses 1 through 7 explains that, and I'll not read it again to you. What was their problem in verse 1 of chapter 4? And as they spake, if Peter and John had kept their mouth shut and just practiced, <laughs> practiced evangelism by how they sit and how they walk and how they dress and just tried to impress people by loving everybody, they'd had no problem. Their problem was they spake. and the devil does not like what they're speaking about. And the Bible said, and as they spake unto the people, the problem was, was their message. The problem was that they had somebody that didn't like them talking about the resurrection. That name Jesus does not need to be mentioned. Now you can talk about anything you want to, they said. You can talk about it as long as you want to, anywhere you want to, just don't mention the name Jesus. And whatever you do, if the Sadducees are around, the ones that control the money down at the temple, The ones who's in charge, the who are daddies of all of them, if they're around, don't mention the resurrection because they don't believe in the resurrection in spirits and in the afterlife. They don't believe in any of that. They believe in the almighty dollar. Now, if the Pharisees are around, you can talk about the resurrection. That's all right. Because they are traditional law keepers, they believe every jot and tittle of the law, and they're always walking around measuring how short your shorts are and how long your dress is. They are fundamental to the core. But if the Sadducees are around, hush it up about this resurrection business. Don't don't mention the resurrection. And being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The devil is not going to like our message. How many doors do you think have been slammed in our face? How many bus calls do you think we've had with accusations against our buses? Preacher, I saw one of your bus drivers driving down the road the other day with a smile on his face. Uh, That's on our message. (laughs) Always, bold, biblical Christianity can expect resistance to the gospel. The problem was the preaching. They were preaching about the resurrection. And so, I've been trying to think all day what they call the Washington in crowd. I think it's the swamp. (laughs) The swamp has gathered around Peter and John because they don't like Peter and John's message. And now, can you imagine the crowd, all of Annas and Caiaphas family, and the guard, the temple guards, and the seventy Sanhedrin and all the priests, that's an orders of 50-some priests that revolves in the temple each day. All of that crowd, plus Alexander and Ilroy, whatever his name was, and they're all standing there, and here stand these two Baptist preachers with this fellow who just been healed and being examined by them. You can ex- expect, you can expect resistance from the swamp. Let me close now. But bold Christianity, not only do we expect resistance, and from day one, we've had resistance from neighbors, from City Hall, we've seen the devil switch bait and everything else and some 34 years of just watching God miraculously take care of all the swamp and the people who have thrown arrows and people who's tried to do harm to this ministry and we've maintained our boldness of the gospel throughout all the years. We expect resistance, but we've always, verses 8 through 12, been ready to speak and to preach the truth. Let me give you just one verse. Verse 12. Neither. Here's their message. Here's their preaching. I know you guys have got a good plan. You've been practicing throughout all the Old Testament. No telling how many goats and billy goats and lambs and bulls and turtle doves you've killed. I know you've had a good program, but uh, there's a new guy on the block. Neither is there salvation in any other. Now that's kind of a narrowing it down. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I was watching Dr. Jerry Farwell before he he passed away. Been interviewed by someone on television and they said, Dr. Farwell, I hear that you have said that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He said, no, I didn't say that. The Bible said that. That's the Bible message. I know what your message is, but I know what God's message is. And wherever we are to whom we are speaking, our message should be the same. For there's no other name unto heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Preacher, don't you think that's kind of bold? I'm kind of bold and narrow. But it's the truth. And truth is always bold and narrow. <laughs> truth does not adjust to everybody's opinion. Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. Jesus said, and the word became flesh and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Truth is narrow. It will always be narrow and it shall remain narrow and we should always be ready to preach and to speak the truth regardless to whom we may be speaking. Paul said, for I'm ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you at Rome. Peter in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 was ready when when they presented itself. The opportunity, Peter said, stood and spoke the truth. God, help Joshua Baptist Church to not be ashamed of the truth, not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, bold Christianity expects resistance and is ready to speak the truth. And lastly, it does not compromise the truth and the message. Verse 13 The Bible said, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, uh, by the way, if these two guys, John and Peter, are unlearned and ignorant, who helped them write the many books of the Bible that they wrote? There's a misconception and a misconception perceive in here that just because these fellows did not go to one of the higher echelon rabbinical universities of the day that they were ignorant and unlearned men. Just because you do not have a degree from a university does not mean that you're ignorant and unlearned. My daddy said, one more curl in a pig's tail don't make any more pork. Just a degree does not determine how learned or how apt you might be. By the way, these two men had a degree, a three and a half year degree taught by the greatest teacher in all the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And surely if I or you traveled and listened day by day, 24 hours a day at the teaching of our Lord in Matthew 5, 6 and 7 and watched him as he performed and watched him as he acted and watched him as he reacted, surely after three and a half years of being with our Lord we should be able to write a couple of books about him. A misconception. They were ignorant and unlearned. No, 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 they were not ignorant and unlearned men. In fact, he had so impressed these men who were cowards and had denied our Lord. Now they stand unashamedly. Brazenly and boldly preach the gospel in Acts chapter 3, and 3,000 folk get saved. Peter again stands in Acts chapter 4, and 5,000 get saved. And stands there eyeball to eyeball with the hip men of the day and says, I'm sorry. he says to this whether it be right imagine the sanhedrin 70 jewish leaders the high priest and all the orders the captain and the guards of the temple area they all standing about and this converted fisherman says whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God judge you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, that is biblical, bold Christianity. Let me close with their prayer. The prayer of these two men when they got back to the church and was reporting about the issues that had transpired I close with you verse 29 of the same chapter. And they got back and was reporting and they began to pray. Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word after they had been threatened and commended, don't you speak in his name anymore. You can speak anywhere you want, as long as you want, but whatever you do, don't you mention the name Jesus or the resurrection again. And they go back to the church and begin to pray, Lord, Lord, Behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. That's what we need in America. And that's what we need in Joshua Baptist Church.